This is episode number 48 with the Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks field manager, Michael Schlacht. Michael was a third-round pick out of high school by the Texas Rangers, and because of injuries, he was not able to fulfill his long dream of making it to the major leagues. Like I said, he didn't let that keep him down because he's now the manager for the Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks, sending as many players as possible to the major leagues. Um, he shows some really great gratitude towards the game of baseball in this episode and and just kind of gives you guys some little bit of perspective on what it's like to be a, a top-round draft pick and never make it. Um, if you haven't already, please head on over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And I'd also like to give a quick shout-out to one of the players I've been working with for quite some time. His name is Cole Swanson, and he's been working really hard over the last several months, uh, getting ready for his season. I can't wait to see what he can do. And Cole, if you're out there listening, make sure to keep working hard and keep taking those dry swings like I've been telling you. So great job, man, and uh, keep working. Welcome to Patrick Jones Baseball. My name is Patrick Jones, former professional baseball player and host of this podcast. My day job is a podcaster, and my night job is a baseball instructor. Please email me at jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com if you're interested in getting hitting lessons from me. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode, and let's get to work. We are now live with Michael Schlacht, manager for the Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks. Michael, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So you have a pretty pretty interesting story. I mean, you were the classic, you know, high round pick out of high school. You know, can't miss prospect, and you know, through injuries and everything, it just didn't work out. But I think it's pretty pretty cool and inspiring that you weren't really bitter from what I've read and, and learned about you about the whole experience, and you kind of, you know, it was kind of a blessing in disguise, and that kind of prepared you to be a coach. Um, is that kind of how? Is that am I correct on that analysis? Well, I think it's it's always interesting um, when people say that. I do appreciate it. Um, I think the interesting thing about social media and and stories and, and things that people read is that they do they get that glimpse of where I am now, uh, just like in anybody's story. You know, a lot of times, what's put out there, what's published, is is the full story almost of you know I went from here and now I'm here. Um, and in between time for me was tough though. I learned a lot about myself. Uh, I learned a lot about my faith. Uh, there were, there were times that I was bitter and I was angry and I didn't understand why. Um, I went from a high draft pick to essentially being forced out. I mean, I, you know, when I say forced out, of course, I mean, you know, you don't have a job anymore. We're, we're going to move on and that's a tough thing to swallow when you've been working your entire life for a certain goal. So there were times of bitterness. There were times of anger. Um, my faith, my wife were instrumental in getting me through those. And once I was able to get past that bitterness, past that anger, remember that there is a purpose for pain. There's a purpose for everything. I was able to get to this, this point where I am, where I feel like it was a blessing in disguise. It was a situation where for me, I was. I thought I was on a path to being a major leaguer, and uh, that that path was actually uh, one that was forging me towards coaching. So, so yeah. On the other side of it, uh, I am blessed by it, as you said. I am really thankful that everything happened the way it did. But but throughout that journey, there were definitely some speed bumps in there. 
So you were drafted right out of high school. How hard is it for a high school kid to get drafted, high round pick, and go right into the minor leagues? Well, I think when you talk about it from a baseball perspective, it, it is hard. I mean, you can look at the statistics of it. Um, you know, the, the percentages, I was definitely blessed by it. Um, a little lucky, uh, all those things and emotions that go with actually being drafted. The hard part was actually signing the contract, leaving home for the first time, and having to navigate life as an 18-year-old with no parents there to help you, uh, nobody you've ever met before. You're, you're meeting, in my case, I was meeting guys from other countries uh, and having to, to be teammates with them, um, not knowing anything about their culture. You know, I was in Arizona um, where I'd never been in my entire life. So there was a whole lot of new, a whole lot of change, and I was really homesick. So when you when you talk about it from that way, you know, everyone says, wow, it's really glamorous. You know, it's like you get drafted and you, and you go. And, and that's totally separate from the fact that it was a huge blessing and it was an amazing opportunity. But the, the humane side of it, the human element of it was that I had to figure out how to grow up really, really fast and that I didn't have people around me necessarily that, that were sort of helping me develop. Uh, I had to really step into this learning on the fly, you know, trial by fire type deal where mistakes were amplified. Um, you know, people didn't necessarily care who I was or where I came from. It's a business at that point. So there's a lot of change that goes in with that. But at the same time, it was some of the best years of my life. What's the hardest part of being a professional baseball player? I mean, is it the, the, the grind, the travel, playing every single day? Was it the competition of trying to get, you know, really good hitters out? Um, what's the toughest part about it? I think the toughest part, and obviously this answer would change depending on who you ask for me personally, I think it wasn't the fact that I was playing every day. I enjoyed the game. Well, I wasn't playing every day. I was a starter, but you know, I was there every day. You know, It's 140 games in the minor leagues plus spring training plus in a lot of cases instructional league. You know, you're essentially gone from the end of January all the way through Halloween, and um, that can take its toll. Uh, obviously, friends, family, um, you know, girlfriend, wife, whatever it is. But I think the hardest part was probably for me learning how to self-evaluate. Um, and it went right along with what you were saying about getting professional hitters out. I, I had a tough go of being able to, in a sense, um, have enough humility to tell myself that I needed to improve early on. You know, I'd been drafted high, um, you know, baseball had always been easy for me. And so to step into a point where, okay, now I actually have to improve and, and I need to be real with myself and honest with myself about things I'm not good at so that I could improve was a tough thing for me. So the hardest part was probably making those adjustments, having to constantly get hit around, um, you know, have really bad games in order to learn. I wasn't in the right mindset at that point in my career. I wasn't able to say, what can I learn from this? I took a loss as a loss. I didn't take a loss as a learning experience. And so obviously hindsight, you know, I, I wish I had, but I didn't at that point. And so I think walking through, you know, a 10-year minor league career where I constantly couldn't make an adjustment quick enough or well enough, and then obviously going through two shoulder surgeries, you know, that changes who you are as a pitcher. It amplified that problem that I had. So 
that was the hardest part for me. Yeah, talking about your your two shoulder surgeries, when you after that second shoulder surgery, did you ever get like were you close to your original velocity or was it just it was completely gone? No, the second one got me. Uh the first one was a was a rotator cuff uh debridement they called it. They kind of cleaned out and um you know, kind of shaped up the rotator cuff a little bit. There wasn't any repairs or anything like that. And then uh the second one was a labrum surgery and I, I was nowhere close to what I was before. I probably could have um, pushed through the pain because I still had some pain throwing. I probably could have reinvented myself, so to speak, as a pitcher. But at that point where I was, and, and the lessons I learned through the first shoulder surgery, I was able to look ahead and tell myself that the end was coming for my career from as a player. And I started to focus on what type of, um, kind of what type of person I wanted to be next. I didn't necessarily know it was coaching. Um, I just knew that it wasn't really fun anymore because I was throwing the ball. You know, I lost 10 to 12 miles an hour on my fastball. Wow. And I lost the sink. I, I didn't have anything left. And and I just, it, it wasn't there for me. I, I was real enough at that point with myself to say, this isn't going to work. So uh, that led to, to my retirement. And you played in the Atlantic League um, right before you ended up retiring. You played in the Atlantic League a little bit in the American Association. Is the competition better in the Atlantic League than, per se, I know you made it to double-A? Yeah, um, I didn't I – didn't, I felt like there's a lot of guys in independent ball, both in the Atlantic League and the, and the American Association and even some in the Can-Am frontier. I mean, independent ball as a whole – has guys that, that are out of the game or affiliated wise, they're out of the game for one reason or another. Some of it's on the field, some of it's off the field, but I have seen an unbelievable surge in talent, you know, starting at about the time I was finishing up my playing career all the way to now. Um, and, and you, you know, people, scouts that come out to watch these games in our league in the Atlantic league and the Canaan league and these places. And they're saying these guys would help out some minor league teams right now. And a lot of them in our league at a high level. I mean, we've, you know, in, in Fargo, we've had, you know, over the last couple of years, we've had a number of guys get signed and go to double A, triple A. And a couple of them right now are pushing to make a major league roster. So the competition level is increasing. When I was in the Atlantic League, I saw that. When I was in the American Association, I saw that. And um, it's a different ball game in independent ball. You know, there's no moving up, moving down. It's, come in, be who you are, do what you have to do to win. And and when you do that, the whole team wins. And when the whole team wins, it's a lot of fun. So it kind of takes it back to the grassroots game uh, that, that we all grew up playing. So it, it was, it's really neat in that way. Let me take you back to after you're done playing with your um, professional baseball career in the American Association, you then became a pitching coach. Now you're obviously the manager um, what was that transition like, and has it been tough to kind of explain the game versus just go out and do it? I didn't really know coming into coaching from a playing standpoint what it was going to be like because I didn't even really know that I wanted to do it, to be totally honest with you. Uh, when I retired, I was in Amarillo in the American Association, and my manager, Bobby Brown, he's now in Lincoln in the same league I'm in. He, he said, hey, you, you communicate well. Guys look up to you. You've been around a long time. Why don't you hang around for a few weeks and see if this is something that's for you? So he put me in the bullpen. Uh, he, he made me the bullpen coach for the final couple of weeks to a month of the season. And 
and I loved it instantly. It was something that, for for whatever reason, I just I knew I was meant to do it. It clicked with me, and um, I went into this immediate reflection mode. I felt like as a coach, if I was going to help guys, first off, I needed to know where they were, who they were, how they tick, you know, all that kind of stuff. But then number two, I felt like I needed to reflect back to things that I learned, both from good and bad, and be able to communicate that well to them. And that approach suited me. I enjoyed doing it. And, you know, the interesting thing that I found was that we all have this, we all have this ability uh, or this, this idea that if I'm going to come coach a guy at the professional level, I need to tell him everything that I did well. And really what they need more than anything is to understand that I failed because everybody connects with failure, you know, and that sounds a little depressing, but it's the truth. You know, nobody's perfect. And so when you're going coaching a guy, talking to a guy, the most times and and as much as they're going to come to you is when they're failing. And that's what I found. It was like, Hey, my slider's not very good right now. Or I gave up seven runs last game or, um, you know, I got released and now I'm here or, you know, it was thing after thing that wasn't their highlights, so to speak. And so what I found was that I was connecting with players more and joining in, in what they had as a setback rather than saying, well, look what I did, you know, in 2007, I did, nobody wants to hear that. And so I, I noticed that immediately as a coach and, and if I could connect with them and let them know that it's okay not to be perfect, it reduces some pressure, keeps the game more fun you know, when you don't have to be perfect all the time. And it became a, it became a fun thing for me. I started enjoying connecting with the players. Yeah, I really, I really like that. I'm actually starting to coach myself and I'm definitely going to take some of that advice to, to my, my guys. They're a lot younger, only in high school, but that's, that's good advice of, you know, they, they normally only do come to you when, when they struggle, which is a good point. Now they think about it. You're the manager this upcoming season. It's going to be your first full season as the manager. Are you nervous? Uh, nervous. Yeah, maybe a little bit. I mean, nervous. I wouldn't say that the entire emotion uh, is encapsulated by nervousness, but I think there's some butterflies maybe, you know, that feeling when, when, um, when we used to go out there and compete and we knew that, that something great could happen um, or that you were prepared and, and you were anxious, so to speak, to get out there. I think that's more what I feel, you know, myself and Jeff Bittiger, the player personnel consultant for Fargo, that put together a team all winter. Um, you know, we don't have scouts, so we're doing this ourselves. And, um, you know, I've been working closely with the ownership. Um, you know, we have a new general manager. Um, you know, our, our new hitting coach is Chris Coast. He was, a, he was a World Series champion with the Phillies. You know, there's good people around me. Um, that I'm learning from every day. And I feel like when you have a good support staff around you, a good system, a good group of people and, and with one vision and one goal, it takes away the nervousness. So the more I think about it, um, the more I'm excited, I think more than nervous. Uh, there are obviously big expectations anytime, you know, you, you become the manager of a professional team. Um, people are paying their hard-earned money to come out and watch us play in Fargo. And so there's that excellence that I expect out of myself, out of staff, out of players that that puts on a good show for the fans, so to speak, but also allows these guys to showcase their abilities and and, and get back to where they want to be. So a little nervous, a little bit excited, um, very, very blessed and thankful, though, because you know these opportunities are, are a dime a dozen. They're, they're exciting, and I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it for sure. How do you get your players to buy in, I guess, or how will you get your players to buy in? 
Well, that's a great question. Uh, and I think there's a hundred different ways you can do that. I think the biggest way that I'm going to look forward to, to allowing guys to buy in is number one, I want to give them a vision. Number one, that's attainable. Number two, that is positive. And I want to give them something to look forward to that makes them want to hop on with me. Does that make sense? It's like, I know where I'm going. I know that I want to take this team to championship caliber. And I want to make that vision and that goal and that dream so enticing that they jump on board with me. I think so many times in baseball, especially, you focus on yourself. You know, it's such a a stats-driven game. Well, I got to do this. I got to hit at this at this clip. You know, my ERA needs to be this. You know, my my my. It's a little bit. It, it can it can infect a team in a negative way when that happens. And so, number one, we're gonna find a way to get it done. We're gonna embrace roles. So whatever whether your role is the starting shortstop, the center fielder, the leadoff hitter, the four hole hitter, whether you're one of our starting five, whether you're our closer, or whether you're the lefty that's coming in for one hitter. You're the valuable guy off the bench that, that we need for speed. I need you to steal a base. If you're the guy that I know has good bat control and literally your job is to pinch hit and get a guy over, whatever it is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to really, really push these guys to embrace their roles for the sake of we. Because we over me is always going to be a better opportunity and a better gig than me. And so um, it's, I'm excited to, to push that a little bit this year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's... That sounds like a good recipe for for success, and I, I I like how I feel like at the end of the day, you know, as an individual, even though it is an individual sport, sport, if you buy in, you're gonna be, you're gonna play your best baseball if you're if you're for the team. Um, what? That's right. I mean, they, I was gonna say too, like just think back to to when when you were asked to do something uh, for a team, or or when when the coach would say, hey, uh, this is what we're gonna do, or or I'm gonna set, you know, you need to bunt here or come get this one guy out, like not only does it rally your teammates when you do a job, but it also builds your confidence. And when that happens and when you start putting the team first, you play looser baseball. And uh, there's a lot of benefits, as you just said, that come from focusing on the team rather than yourself. You actually do play better. Absolutely. How do you get your guys on your team? Is it Are you just taking most of your guys from last year or are you going through the transactions list when it comes out in late March? How do you put your how do you put your roster together? It's different for everybody, specifically for us. Um, we we decided uh, right after Thanksgiving who who we wanted to come back, uh, who we wanted to essentially build the team around that that would be a returning group. You know, with me taking over with 24 games to go in 2017, we needed a good core of guys that were on that team to come back that understood who I was, what I'm all about. You know, they knew me. I'd been the pitching coach there for a few years, but we wanted a core group of guys that, that understood my vision and my plan and my purpose and all of those things for the Red Hawks. Um, and so we focused on those guys first, and then we we looked at what our holes were once we signed back the people we wanted from the previous year. So from there, we're looking at who is Major League Baseball or Minor League Baseball, who are they releasing? Like you said, the transaction lists, uh, a lot of it is networking, who the guys on the team know who I know from my career, um, Jeff Bittiger, who he knows um, through his many, many years in the game. Uh, and, and it's a collective effort of bringing a name to the table, analyzing him, looking at the role that he's going to have, 
looking at how our stadium is, um, the dimensions, uh, what, you know, how does he fit in that way? And, and it's, it's a process. So it's pretty unique. It's pretty interesting. I, I've enjoyed going through it because the, the cool thing is how much like a puzzle it really is. You know, people say that as a cliche, you'll hear it in the winter meetings. Well, you know, it's just another piece to the puzzle. But when you start to take into account the dimensions of your field, how would this guy hit there? You know, who, what type of pitchers are on the other teams in our division? Um, you know, what type of pitchers do we already have? What type of infielders do we have? Do we have a lot of ground ball guys? So we need, you know, maybe a better infield, things like that. It's all so fun. And it really, really is like a puzzle. So a mix of who, you know, a mix of transactions uh, and a mix of who guys know. And uh, that's, that's how you build your team. Why is there so much uh, turnover in independent baseball? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I think one of the main reasons that there's a big turnover in independent baseball is because the majority of guys that are playing it are at the end of their careers, or at least they think they are. And so it's time for them to move on. Obviously, the money isn't the best in independent ball. You know, you're not coming in and, and signing with the fargo Morehead Red Hawks or any other team because you want to get rich. That's just not going to happen. So you're ob- obviously doing it for love of the game to see if you can give it another shot to make it back to the big leagues uh, or to, to affiliated baseball. And so if that doesn't happen or if um, monetarily, you know, financially, it's just not working out, some guys have a family, you know, it's a hard road. And so I think you see turnover from that. Uh, I also think in a lot of cases that at times teams that aren't winning, you know, it's like the major leagues in a lot of ways. So some teams, if they're not winning, uh, there's pressure from ownership to get new guys or there's pressure, you know, that, well, I don't want to lose my job. Um, there's a lot of, there's so many different reasons and it's different for everybody. I think from my experience, what I've seen is that guys, there's turnover because guys are either moving on to the next phase of their life or financially they can't make it work. If a guy's not producing for you though, like would you have to, you know, cut ties? I mean, within a certain number of games, cause I've seen guys come in and get 10, 15 at bats, on different teams and then there you see the x next to their name they're they're gone (laughs) we hope that never happens i mean we don't want to be known as a revolving door i I don't think anybody does you know that that's a hard that's a hard gig um but at the same time sometimes there's roles that need need to be filled whether there's an injury because we don't have an extensive minor league um chunk of players to pull from so we're doing what we can as the season progresses from day to day you know, if we're walking through an injury ourselves and we have to put a guy on the DL, um, you know, he might be down for three weeks. But if we don't have a minor league system to pull from, you know, we're having to go out and sign a guy. And then when our regular guy comes back, you know, if there's a roster spot that needs to be made, you know, be clear, then sometimes it's the same guy we just brought in. It, there's so many variables for that. Uh, we didn't see much turnover at the end of last year with us in Fargo. Um, but again, you know, why it happens, who it happens to is so much day to day that it's hard to even put an answer on that. You know, but like I said, without that extensive minor league group of players, uh, without this pool of players to pull from at a moment's notice, sometimes you're doing what you can to piece it together until a guy gets back or until you can find, you know, a suitable guy on the roster. There's not there's not a lot of rookies in the American Association, but there definitely is some. I know David Peralta started his career um, in Wichita, I believe, and ended up, you know, obviously getting to the big leagues where he is right now. 
Um, do you guys look at rookies or guys who don't have affiliated experience, or is it just guys who are getting released from affiliated baseball? We do look at rookies. There's there's a, there's roster rules where you have to have a certain number of rookies on your team. Um, you know, some rookies are classified as rookies because they only got a shot in short season A or rookie ball with an affiliated with a major league team. Uh, some guys are rookies because they have no pro experience at all. We actually have a blend of both right now on our roster. We have some a couple guys that are classified as rookies because they have very, very limited pro experience. And there's a couple on our roster this second that, that we pulled right from college. They, they graduated. Uh, they missed the draft for one reason or another, but they're good enough to play pro ball. And we're blessed enough to be that opportunity for them. Um, so we are definitely looking at, at all players, whether you have no pro experience or a lot of years in pro ball. That's what makes this league so interesting is that there's there's classifications and there's there's uh, a set number of people that that fit each classification, you know, so that teams aren't aren't too lopsided one way or the other. What's the salary cap for you guys for your uh, for your team? Is it league wide the whole all the same, or is is your team yep. a little bit different? There's one. No, uh, each each team is held to the same salary cap, um, and uh, so the the league, the American Association, sets that salary cap, uh, and and what they do from there is um, you know they're looking at each guy and and how the team determines that is up to them. Like for us, we have, we have a bunch of spreadsheets and we break down what each guy's making a month, what that is per day. And so whenever you're filling in that, that salary grid, you know, when you're looking at a guy to sign, you're having to look at how it fits in the overall number, how that fits month to month, how that fits day to day so that you don't go over that number. Um, and it's not a very big number, you know, so guys aren't exactly, um, you know, like I said earlier, they're not, they're not in it to make a lot of money. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's a reasonable enough number that we can employ anywhere between 22 and 24 guys on a roster that are getting an opportunity to play pro ball. But at the same time, they are, you know, making some money. So uh, there's a there's a sliding scale. You know, obviously rookies will make the lowest income all the way up to veterans who who can make a pretty decent living. So it's a it's a it's a good blend. Yeah, I, I, is this right? I've heard that the max is uh, four thousand a month or three thousand a month. There's not really a max, so to speak, in our league. Um, you can pay guys uh, what you want to pay them, but obviously that that really takes away from everybody else that you can sign. So if you're if you want to put all your eggs in one basket and pay a guy a lot of money, you know that's going to count against your cap a certain number. And then what that does is it, it lowers what everyone else on your team gets paid. So you know that's why you want to be real smart with who you're paying, what you're doing, uh, so that you know you can get more guys on the team if you're smarter with your money does that make sense yeah no that that definitely does um would you ever want to manage in the big leagues is that is that a long-term goal for you you know at this point to be totally honest with you i I, my my long-term goals are to be in professional baseball so i'm not necessarily going to say major league baseball i've always wanted to be in the major leagues because i feel like it's an amazing accomplishment from a competitive standpoint. So I think to answer in short, yes, I would love to coach or manage in the big leagues. Uh, I also love where I'm at because there's a developmental side to it. There's a redemption side to it in independent baseball. Yeah. There's no better feeling than sitting in that office when, when someone, uh, when my phone rings and it's a major league organization or it's the league president calling and saying, Hey, this organization has taken your guy. 
and you get to be in there and be a part of them, you know, delivering that news to them. Hey, you know, this major league team just signed you. You get another opportunity and, and to see the look on their face. So there's so many benefits to every level. Obviously being in the big leagues is, is the pinnacle of our sport. Um, but there's so many rewarding opportunities in independent baseball too. If you can open your eyes to them, such as what I just said, you know, being a small part in a guy's story, um, whether, you know, who he's becoming as a person, you know, if he made some choices that weren't his best um, and, and it caused them to be there, to, to be there for him as he, as he writes the ship, so to speak. So there's so many cool things in, in independent ball in the minor leagues um, that, that, yes, the major, major leagues would be awesome, but I'm definitely enjoying the platform and, and the opportunity I have here as well. Love it. Michael, really appreciate your time today. If you ever need a guy who, you know, for like 10 at-bats for a weekend, uh, give me a call. That's about all I got left in the tank is about a weekend series. And in, in that well, way, you know what? <laughs> that'll be enough, 94 awesome. to 96. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, you know, every once in a while I need a guy that uh, doesn't mind having the X-Fi's name after a week or so, and, and I, now I have your number now, so that's a good yeah. opportunity for you. Exactly. Hey, <laughs> Michael, really appreciate the time, man. Great interview. Thank you so much.